Hey, great to have you here today. Just before we dig into God's Word, let me mention a couple of things for our church family as a whole. And uh, first of all, we're going to have a town hall meeting this Wednesday night, 7 to 8, 15, in our middle school room here at the Middlebrook campus. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the decisions that were made recently by our collection of churches called the Alliance, our denomination. And really grateful for what God is doing through the Alliance here and globally. I mean, just some really cool stories about reaching people in hard places. And uh, so, and as a denomination, sometimes there are things that are happening and decisions being made. So we're going to talk about those this Wednesday evening. Polity, that's P-O-L-I-T-Y, like leadership and how does that work and men and women and titling and all the rest. So that'll be this Wednesday evening and uh, I'll explain briefly what happened, what was decided, how that could impact grace. Our elders will be there and we'll be glad to answer any questions. We want to hear from you. So that'll be an opportunity this Wednesday night. Everyone's welcome. Secondly, we've had a few things with our staff team that, uh, that uh, some of the highs and lows of life, and we can't mention this for everybody at the church, but Pastor Kareem and Rennell Smith uh, dearly loved uh, his mother uh, last week, died after a brief illness. They did a beautiful job honoring her at the memorial service, but really value your prayers for Pastor Kareem. You get to hear from him. If you haven't heard Pastor Kareem preach, you'll be blessed by that in about four or five weeks. And then uh, on the fun side, uh, we had our outreach director for numerous years, uh, Bethany Bell Hutchison, just a real vibrant person. Uh, you see a picture of her and Tim there. They got married last year, and this year, they just this week welcomed a precious little gift, Simeon Eugene Hutchison, and so, so grateful for them. And uh, yeah, uh, really a gift. And Bethany has decided she's going to be full-time there as a mom, so she's transitioned from our team, but you're still going to see them around Grace. And then I just want to say thank you to how many of you are serving and praying and giving and making an impact. This week we had Beulah on the Road, which we, it was packed out. They had a waiting list, I believe, of kids and just all kinds of excitement here. And then before that, you may not have heard of, we had Vacation Bible School, the Deaf Church did, and they just had such impact. I want to just read a couple of comments here. It was for deaf kids and for their hearing siblings too, and some of the deaf teens helped to lead the way. Just went great. A mother of one deaf child wrote, she said, thank you for creating an environment for both my deaf daughter and my hearing daughter to learn and serve together. You are truly filling a void. One hearing five-year-old boy who has two deaf parents prayed, thank you, God, for Vacation Bible School. I didn't know you were my real daddy. Just all kind of, just really cool what God did. Many of our volunteers are from the Grace family. People have been learning American Sign Language and thankful for our interpreters here every Sunday at this uh, service. And, and, so, and one of the artists at Grace and his wife, Donna Shirley, they taught the kids how to do tie-dye. So just... It's so cool to see how God is at work in lots of different ways, uh, making an impact, whether you're serving in, your, in the community or in your making an impact in your workplace here at Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Um, God is doing some really cool stuff. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the Word, okay? Lord, thank you for all that you're accomplishing. You're a God who's always on the move. Lord, it says in the Bible, you don't even have to sleep. You don't, your eyes are always upon us. You're always at work. So Lord, thank you for the impact of Vacation Bible School with the Deaf Church. Thank you for Beulah on the road this week. Thanks for the team uh, leaving for West Virginia tomorrow to serve in a tough area. 
Lord, so many who are serving uh, in different capacities in ministries here at Grace, children and youth, those who are making friends at Lorraine Correctional. God, I pray for our, our friends there that um, you know the challenges that are faced at, by uh, guys who are incarcerated right now and, and they're part of this service. And we just pray, Lord, that your blessing would be on them and things that they pray for, for people they love that they can't see on a regular basis. God, would you... Would you show your kindness and your faithfulness, we pray. Lord, with several losses recently, we mentioned Kareem with his mom, Loretta Stiles, who went into your presence suddenly this last week, and others, Lord, our hearts uh, ache with those encountering grief. We thank you for your promises and your presence, Jesus. What a faithful friend and Savior you are. And so we just, we look to you, we trust you. Teach us now, we pray in your name, amen. Well, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to talk about a very simple topic of singleness and divorce. Wow, how do I do that in like 30 minutes here? But we're going to see the Bible as some great wisdom. And again, guys, Lorraine Correctional, really glad to have you with us. Others of you engaging online or listening to the podcast, uh, thanks for digging in. Uh, a few stats here before we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. According to the latest Census Bureau, did you know how many people, adults in America, are single? What would you guess? It's almost exactly 50%. That's compared to 40 years ago, approximately in 1980, the number was 25% of adult, uh, adults in America were single. Today, 50%, it's at an all-time high. And, and so you have those who are single, single again, single parents, widows, widowers, I mean, just all kinds of, you know, different scenarios. They might be 19 or 39 or 79. It could be that you're in college, you're in the middle of your career, you're retiring or whatever it may be. And so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about to a number of you, and I want to say, those of you who are single here, Grace, we're really glad you're here. We, you have been, you, many of you made an impact in my own life. Uh, some of the people who have shaped my life in the past uh, and even today have been people who are uh, single and just seeing God at work in their lives and really, really grateful. I've talked to enough single people to know that there's a spectrum. There are some who would say, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey. I, I'm content where I am. Maybe there will be marriage for me at some point, but that's not something I'm actively looking for. I'm fairly, you know, content where I am. There's other people who say, Every time I get another, you know, wedding announcement and an invitation to go to a wedding or some one of my friends having a baby, it's just it's painful for me, you know, because I, I, I thought I'd be married by this time and I'm not, or I went through a divorce or I've been widowed, and in my heart, honestly, there's an ache maybe. And, and so you might be somewhere on that spectrum and you're saying, what does the Bible have to say about this? And, and by the way, if you're a married person like I am, please don't tune me out because it's really key for us to understand what some of our brothers and sisters are facing. And I'm going to give you some nuggets that have come from single people here at Grace that they say, here's what I would love for married people to know at Grace about my situation. And so uh, we're going to see what the Apostle Paul says. You're in this series through 1 Corinthians called Whitewater. When you hit some kind of situation, turbulence in life, and you're wondering, wow, how do I face this in a way that honors Jesus? Paul gives so much wisdom. I mean, God in his word just, it's a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, 
Some of them might even at times feel like, wow, why does he say that? If we can trust the heart of the God behind this book to say his heart is for me, like he loves me. And so when there are guardrails there, Mary and I were recently at a uh, national park with some of our kids. And, and, you know, when we would see a little barrier between you and the edge of the cliff, we weren't like, you know, that is the most unfair thing in the world here. They ought to just take that barrier down and let us go. Why do they do? Because they don't want you going over the edge of the cliff, right? I don't want my family to go over the edge of the cliff. And so uh, when God gives us some kind of, you know, here's some guardrails for you, here's some instructions, he wants, he wants to share his wisdom with us. So let's start here. Had a great message last week from Pastor Joel on sex and marriage. If you missed that, check that out online. Verse 7, we're going to pick up here. Here's what Paul writes. I wish everyone were single just as I am. That's a good way to start, huh? Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those of you who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, now that sounds like really negative right there. Like, you know, if you're wildly out of control, uh, they should go and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. I think what he's saying here is if you have this attraction to a person, you're like, man, I would love to be in a relationship or, or there's, you know, it's hard for me to imagine. He's going, hey, you're free to, free to marry. You know, go for it. And Paul's going to give us some of the positives and negatives here, but he's trying to correct some false views on marriage and singleness. If you're following along your notes, you'll see these, but on the one hand, you had people who devalued marriage and sex, and they, they thought that these were to be avoided because they're somehow unspiritual, they're given to your base or lower nature, like, you know, I don't know, we don't really like to talk about that, like God is embarrassed by sex, and, you know, he probably turns his face like, oh my goodness, there they go, they're doing it again, you know, or something, and... And uh, when really he created it, right? This is a good gift from God. Uh, he, he really, it's not just for procreation or whatever. God gives the gift between a man and a woman in marriage, and that's his heart. And so when people start speaking against marriage, Paul says, oh, no, 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 don't do that. In fact, in 1 Timothy, he's writing to his younger protege in the faith, and here's what he says in 1 Timothy 4. He says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. You know one of the things they'll teach? They'll say it's wrong to be married. Paul goes, you know what? I'm, that, is, that is a lie. He goes, it's fine to be married. It's a gift from God. You can reflect the heart of God in marriage. He elevates marriage. And he does the same thing with singleness because there were other people in that day, and really in our own, maybe this is more common today, who devalue singleness. It's almost like you're not really a completed person until you're married. You know, evidenced by, you ever seen those little necklaces that got like half of a thing, and it's like, you know, until I find the other half, I'm not really a full person. And Paul goes, that's not true. Singleness is not a plan B for your life. That could be God's, you know, gift to you, at least for this season and for however long, that, that marriage does not complete you. I am not a complete person because of Mary. Mary, my wife, if you're wondering who's talking about, Mary is not complete because of Jonathan. Like if she were to die or I were to die, we wouldn't, we, we would, I mean, it'd, that'd be crushing, right? I feel like a part of me had died, but I would still be a complete person because I am made complete in Christ. And so are you. So Paul speaks here, he gives an appropriate correction and he says this in verse seven. 
He says, God gives the gift of the single life to some, and he gives the gift of the married life to others. And so he elevates, he goes, man, uh, you know, if you're single, uh, you, can, you can be good there. And if you're married, you can be good there. And we know there can be pain on both sides as well. So Paul's going to address that. First, he turns to the married people, and he says, I want to talk to you about when your marriage doesn't go right. Uh, what do you do if you're facing great conflict or dissension? What does he say about divorce? And so let me start with verse 10 here, and, and let's see what this says, okay? He says, for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. In other words, you don't just leave your spouse because you're not a Christian. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy but now they are holy. In other words, you can have influence on your spouse or your children just by the, what you bring of Jesus into your home. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands... Realize that your wives might be saved because of you. Let me just stop there. His big point is this. If you're married, do the hard work of investing in your marriage. And those of you who are married might go, wow, if I could just be married and meet all my needs in this person or, you know, have... Marriage is tough. There's a lot of challenges on the journey, right? You're investing in someone's life. You're yielding and sacrificing. The goal in your marriage is to reflect God's love for you to your spouse and to go, I want to love Mary as Jesus has loved me. And that means yielding and serving. And then sometimes it's like, well, what if our, you know, I want to do this and she wants to do that. And Paul's going, man, I, I want you to work at that. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 9 and 19, and, and really this is evidence. Divorce doesn't simply separate two people. It rips them apart. Here, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 19. The two, this is the miracle that happens at, at a wedding, like the divine interlocking of two hearts. He says the two become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He's going, God like welds your hearts together. That's why even like if you got a boyfriend or girlfriend and, and you break up after a long time of dating, you feel like my heart was ripped. Yeah, it was because you were beginning that process and then ultimately when you're married, of, of your, there's a knitting together. So what do you do when, when that's being ripped apart because of the behavior of the other person? When there's, there's, you have a really difficult marriage. We might ask it this way. In our broken world, what circumstances might lead a person to divorce? Many Bible teachers approach it this way, and I put these in your notes here, that there are three scenarios often that the scriptures would say in these situations divorce is permitted. First of all, when a spouse has been involved in sexual sin. Some of you felt the deep pain of that. Even for me to mention that, you go, oh my goodness, like it just, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 19 again. He says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. In other words, if you're just doing it to be happy or like I don't really, you know, I fell out of love with this person. He goes, 
you're, you're, you're really cheating on your spouse and you're cheating against God unless, here's the exception, his wife has been unfaithful or her husband has been unfaithful. So if that's happened, the vow's been broken and the spouse is permitted, but obviously not required, to pursue a divorce. The New Testament also talks about divorce as an option when a spouse abandons their marriage. And that's what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, you might go, I don't know if they're a believer or not. Sometimes it's like they've walked away from Jesus. They're not living like a believer. Let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other for God has called you to live in peace. When he says you're not bound, most interpreters mean remarriage is permitted. Now, every situation is different, right? But if you've experienced the pain of someone's sexual unfaithfulness in your marriage or they've abandoned in some way, uh, one of the things we often recommend is to have a period of, of sort of a separation to see, let's let the temperature come down, give the other person an opportunity to see if there's significant lasting change. They're addressing the behaviors that led to the, all the challenges. Is that difficult? Absolutely. Does it demand grace? For sure. Uh, maybe you talk to one of the counselors, affiliated counselors here at Grace. Ask God for his grace and wisdom. Uh, he'll walk with you. He's with you in the pain, even when it feels really dark. One more basis for considering divorce, and there's tension over this one right here, but it's this one. One spouse repeatedly inflicts substantial harm. Theologian Wayne Grudem has written a book that you'll see in your notes on this. He says that this little phrase in verse 15 that says, in such cases, means when your spouse abandons you or in other such cases where they have broken their vow. And, and here's what he writes. He says, divorce for self-protection is morally permissible in situations where one spouse is repeatedly inflicting substantial harm on the other spouse, such that the abused spouse much, must leave the home for self-protection and also in other situations that are similarly destructive to a marriage. So if there's a prolonged, like, verbal or relational cruelty, children are being abused, perhaps. There's an, an, an addiction that goes on that's left unaddressed. In those kind of situations, numerous authors would say, Bible teachers, that, that God permits divorce and remarriage. Why? Because it's been ruptured. The marriage covenant by the other person's been ruptured. Now, you might be here and you go, that I totally disagree with. And, and I would say when we get to heaven, you'll find out that I, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> when I get to heaven, I might find out that you were right, right? This would not be the first time that I was wrong for sure. I... I know that, but, but it, we just go, God, we're doing the best we can to just say, what, what does your word teach? And, and guide us by your Holy Spirit, and he'll be faithful to do this, so we, we trust in him. Well, Paul isn't done. He addresses those who are married and going through a challenge, and then he turns again to the singles, and those may be single again. And, and here's what he says. Let's drop down to verse 25 and just see what he says here and and, and, and seek to find what is he really getting at here. Verse 25, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share with you. Because of the present crisis, now hold on to that little phrase, I'm gonna come back to that. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, 
it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this to your brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy of or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world, as we know, will soon pass away. Here's what Paul's going. He's saying, you know what? This world in which we live is so brief. He goes, you get a new pickup truck, and you're like, my life is complete. He goes, you're, that pickup truck is not going to last forever, and you might go to heaven in the next two months. Hold that very loosely, that trip you're going to take. And yes, even the people in your lives Paul is saying, this life is short. And he goes, ultimately, it's about Jesus and his place in your life. Now, what does he mean, this present crisis or time is short? Two things he might have been referring to, uh, verse 26 and then verse 29. Number one, there was a severe famine in the land, that region, at the very time that Paul's writing. And, and in addition, there was rampant persecution across the Roman Empire. And so Paul's saying, he's going, you know what, it you might want in this present crisis to consider staying single. This is a really, really hard time. If you knew that you were facing persecution for your faith and your children would, you're like, do I want to bring children into that? Or there's a famine. We don't even have enough to eat for those we have. And Paul could have been talking about that. He also says in verse 29, time is short. Could mean either that this life is brief, Jesus is coming again. His point is this. He goes, I want you to see the bigger picture that, that uh, in light of all that's happening, he's going, don't, don't view marriage as like the end all and be all, and that's what's going to make my life meaningful. He's, here's what Paul says. A single person, a bullet point in your notes here, may have extra opportunities to serve the Lord. Some single people say, not always, but, but Paul's saying, yeah, but sometimes. I mean, think of John the Baptist, Jesus, Tabitha, the apostle Paul himself, uh, the key point is this, singleness in no way limits your ability to have high impact for Jesus. So if you're single, don't wait for a mate to start serving and making an impact with your life. Uh, God can use you right now. The fact is that we owe this incalculable debt uh, to singles throughout history and even today. I mean, some of the people who have had the biggest impact in my life and mentored me have been single. Uh, they, they've had, and so uh, you can serve really effectively as a single person. Paul continues making it clear that a single person can be content in life, enjoying devotion to God and friendship with others. Here's what he says in a, in a letter to another church. In fact, would you read these words aloud with me? This is from Philippians chapter 4, where he says, I have learned. Can we say that together aloud? Those of you engaging online, let me hear you say it out loud as well. Ready? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He says, I've learned the secret. You know what that means? Contentment, listen to this, contentment is a decision that you make. It's something you learned. It's not based on your circumstances. The secret to joy, listen to this, the secret to joy is not being happily married or independently single and traveling the world or having a great job, a lot of money, or having superior health or anything like that. You're, all of those things can be taken, they're good, but they can be taken away from you. 
Contentment, the secret to contentment is not what you have, it's who you know. It's founded in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My wife could be taken from me. My health could be taken from me. This, the role that I get to do is, could be taken. All of that could be taken from me, but the only one who promises he'll never leave me is, is Jesus. And ultimately, he's the one who has provided for me to be adopted into a forever family and forgiven me and said, you are loved completely. If you don't know Jesus, he's, he's waiting and, and to welcome you home. And you can trust him even today, and he will be the one who meets the deepest longings of your soul. Nobody else, no other human being can do that. I said I was gonna share a little bit of advice from other single people here at Grace. This is for us married people, and you single people, maybe you'll have some more that you would add to this, and you'd go, but I think you might say an amen to some of these as well. One single person writes, um, this is for married people, be sensitive when you talk with single friends. Don't assume too quickly that they want to stay single, nor should you assume that they are desperate to get married. Support them either way. I like this next one. Telling a 42-year-old single about your aunt that got married for the first time at 67 is not encouraging. <laughs> um, you, you want to get married? Just wait 25 more years, my aunt. You know, she's in a wheelchair, but she got, you know. Now I'm gonna hear from 67-year-olds going, I'm not in a wheelchair, I'm 67, I'm an amazing hell. Next, be careful about giving advice or making offhand comments like, well, you're lucky you're not married. Your complaints about your marriage do not make me feel less lonely or better about being single. Thank you. <laughs> also, keep in mind that not all singles have extended family nearby. An invitation can mean a ton to them, personally for Mary and me. Um, we've, singles we've invited into our family life have had a huge impact on us, uh, have meant so much, and... Uh, and I would just say, if, you, if you're a married person and you've got a small group, invite a single into your small group or, you know, have them for dinner or come, invite them to game night or whatever it might be, a holiday celebration, and don't make a big deal about it like we were trying to reach out to the down and outers and we thought of you, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, but just to say, hey, are you going to be alone this Thanksgiving? Your family lives out in Massachusetts. We'd love to have you, you know, spend time with us if you can. And another makes a summary point, think like a Christian. Your fellow Christians are your family more deeply and more eternally than those related to you simply by bloodlines. Jesus himself said, who are my mother and brother and sisters? It's, it's the people who do the will of my Father in heaven, right? That, that, your single friends, your brothers and sisters, they're part of your family. I love how one ended. They write, praise God we have Jesus to help us through whatever our status, marital, married or single. Uh, some of you are single would say, I've got another one to add and feel free to be in touch with me, but just good input from the singles among us, which leads us to one more point. A single person has freedom to pursue marriage or not. Here's what Paul writes in verse 35. He might say several times like, I hope you're all like me, or I hope if you're single, you stay single. And he had his reasons for saying that, but here's what he says in verse 35. He says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do, and here's, here's his filter, do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. 
Stanley Hauerwas, uh, who is taught at Duke University, wrote in a book, A Community of Character, he said, Christianity affirmed the goodness of the single life as no other faith or worldview ever has. He says this in his book. He says, one clear difference between Christianity and all other traditional religions is Christianity's view of singleness. Nearly all other religions and cultures made an absolute value of family and having children. There was no honor without family honor. There was no real lasting significance or legacy without leaving heirs. Christianity, in contrast, says this, your identity does not come first of all from being married or having kids or what kind of work you do. Your truest identity is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's been provided through the cross. And through the cross, you can be adopted into God's family and your body actually becomes the what? Two weeks ago, we talked about this. First Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple? Right, all right. The temple of the Holy Spirit, like God actually comes and lives within you. So whether you're single or married, Paul says, you can fulfill God's plan for your life. Both are a gift. Let me close with this. I received a note from someone at Grace, a single woman that really moved me, and she gave me permission to share some of it with you. Here's what she says. As a little girl, all I ever dreamed of was getting married and being a mom. I got married shortly after high school, and it turned out to be a pretty abusive marriage. He left me after doing much damage to me emotionally. I truly believed I was a bad person and didn't deserve any happiness. I was angry at God for allowing this to happen to me. I stopped going to church for many years, and she talks about what that life was like. She continues, then God brought me to himself and brought me to Grace Church. At Grace, for the first time, I felt accepted as a single person. I longed to have a family of my own, and I have found that at Grace. There are many families who have reached out to me, inviting me to share dinner and game night with them, allowing me the privilege of watching their kids, even for an entire weekend. What a blessing that was for me. Some young parents are going to text me and go, I need her number. <laughs> Let me know who this woman is. including me in events and making me feel like I belong. Once I was able to get beyond feeling sorry for myself and allowing God to take control, he opened up many blessings to me. I still long to have that one special relationship with a husband, but I found that Jesus is truly my best friend and the one I turn to when I need to cry, when I want to laugh, or when I just need to be by myself. I am never alone with Jesus by my side. I've also found some deep friendships with women through grace, but one thing very different about these friendships than the ones I had before is that these revolve around God and not just going out for an evening of fun. We are supporting each other in our singleness and in our walk with God, and that is a powerful foundation to build a relationship on. I have also been able to get involved with some other ministries here at Grace, and she says what those are. Talk about maturity and depth and saying, Lord, I'm gonna choose to be content in my relationship with you, even as I trust you, for maybe what you have for me in the future. I'd love to close in a prayer, and I wonder where you are today. Could be that you're in a place where you go, I actually like where I am. I really, I've come to, like, my singleness is actually, I feel really comfortable in that, or I'm married and my marriage is fairly healthy. You might just need to breathe a prayer today of thanks to God and say, Lord, for your goodness to me. I realize that where I am, a lot of people would like to be. Thank you. Some of you are in a tough marriage right now, and you go, wow, that part in divorce, 
that hit a core of who I am because I'm in a lot of pain right now. Or maybe you're single and you, you know, you just, you're not, you're, you're like, I don't, I'm, I'm in a tough spot. Um, I'd love to pray for you and to ask God for his blessing. So I'm going to invite you to stand and, and let's, let's pray and just ask him to have his way in us. Lord Jesus, you have always shown compassion to those who come humbly to you, and you also have said that our Father in heaven delights in giving good gifts to his children. And so, Father, we come in, in Jesus' name today, asking you to provide as only you can. Lord, some here need a sense of peace in their life. They're trying to learn contentment. Some are dealing with great tension in a marriage and need healing, and I pray for brokenness and humility. Lord, some who are single are in a place of saying, I, I, I don't think I'm honoring God with some of my behavior, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would, they would come to a place of full surrender to you. Other ones, perhaps a longing to be married and find that, that right person with whom to share life. God, would you provide in a, in a, just in a way that we could say, thank you, Jesus. And Lord, for those right now who, whether single or married, say, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I, my relationship with God, my life, Lord, I just, we bless you for your goodness to us, your grace. So we just say, Lord, here we are. Uh, would you just pour out your grace and your mercy, whatever is needed in this time, and fill our hearts with your love, we ask, in your powerful name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen.